Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we go through the Bible book by book in a way that's deep, but also easy to understand. If you would like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the Solid Life Whole Bible Reading Plan. We also have physical reading plans available in the lobby every Sunday. And every Friday, uh, or the last Friday of every month, sorry, we actually take time to answer questions just like we just did. So if you haven't listened to the last Q&A podcast, feel free to do that. Uh, But in order to do that, we need your questions. And so we would love for you to take uh, 30 seconds this week and submit a new question. Uh, Evan loves these question and answer podcasts, as do I. love them too. So we have a great time with them. So we love all the questions we can get. So feel free to send them in to info at grove.church, or you can jump on the Facebook page of the Grove Church and send them through the message. You can DM us. Direct message. Direct message. I was just trying to be trendy. (laughs) Uh, But to begin this week's Bible talk, we're in 2 Kings or 2 Chronicles and Kings. And and in both of our readings, uh, or I guess I should say our readings of both of those books this week, uh, we're really focused on the the reign of King Uzziah, uh, also called Azariah. I forgot which book calls him which, but he's called by different names in both books. Uh, But same guy. Um, Uzziah's reign is, is an interesting one. And I feel like this is just kind of becoming a theme with, uh, the Kings of Judah. I'm going to be honest. I'm kind of done with, <laughs> this is so bad to say, like just it's repetitive. It is a cycle of repetition That's true. Um, and there's value to it. And so I'm going to continue reading it, but I'm ready to move on yeah, Uzziah, to the next book in my reading plan, not these podcasts in my reading plan. There you go. Um, but yeah, Uzziah's reign begins much the same as, as the law of the Kings of Judah. It starts off well, and then it goes poorly. And so, uh, he is counted among, I would, I would say, you know, the righteous Kings. We talked about this on the Q and A episode a little bit, you know, Uzziah, Jehoshaphat, um, those Kings who were, um, they're not the great Kings of Judah, but they, they served the Lord and they led the people, uh, to also worship the Lord. Um, he wins a lot of victories against many of Judah's enemies, and he actually helps uh, Judah enter into an era of prosperity. So if you remember his father, um, which I don't have his name, at th- I forgot his name. But anyway, his father was the king we talked about in last week's episode. Oh, shoot. I know. It's not Azariah because that's Uzziah's name, but it's Amaziah. Amaziah. I think that's it. Yeah, let's just go with that. Sure. If it's wrong, call Evan out. If I'm, if it's wrong, I'm sorry. We're going to call him King Amaziah. But basically, um, if you remember from when we talked about it, Judah was at a weakened state, and uh, Israel under Jeroboam II was actually at really its its most powerful state since the divide of the kingdom. And under the reign of King Uzziah, that kind of flips. Uh, Uzziah begins to expand borders. Judah enters into a really prosperous time uh, in the nation, and so. It's, it's good times. The people are worshiping God. Um, but eventually Uzziah becomes overcome with his pride and he goes and he wants to burn incense in the temple, which I know that sentence kind of sounds like, yeah, okay, what about it? Um, but really in the law, God makes it clear that that is for the priest to do. That is a specific thing yeah. that the Levitical priesthood is supposed to do to worship God. It's not a thing that the king is supposed to do. And there is this separation between, even though the king... And the priests are both spiritual leaders of the people of, of Israel and, and Judah. Um, well, I guess particularly in Judah, Israel's kind of just off the deep end at this point. But even True. though the king and the priests are both spiritual leaders, they have their own specific areas of leadership. And Uzziah is trying to cross over into something that God said specifically for the priests to do. And so uh, the chief priest, whose name was also Azariah, which is a little bit confusing. It is um, when you read it. But. Yeah. So you're just like, wait, he's talking to himself? No. Chief priest also named Azariah. Um, and he tries to convince him, basically, he's saying, he's telling him, he's telling Uzziah, this is a terrible idea. 
do not do this. And Uzziah kind of just ignores him, pushes him away. He burns the incense and God is extremely upset with him. And so he, he, uh, gives Uzziah leprosy basically is, is what it turns out, which if you don't know what leprosy is um, in Braveheart, it's what the, uh, the guy who's the father of the future King of Scotland has, which Braveheart's a great movie anyway, that no one's going to remember exactly um, what you're talking about. But it's true. The first time I it's a skin eating disease read about leprosy when I was younger, I Googled leprosy and I would encourage you to not do that. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it's your skin becomes like flaky white, Limbs begin to fall off. It's yeah, really disgusting. It's, yeah, it's a skin eating disease, or really a body eating, but it's it's bad. It's, yep. it's very high, it's highly contagious as well. There you go. It's also what uh, a lot of the people have in the samurai's garden. So shout out to my high school literature class where I read that book. So do you remember your high school literature class's teacher's name? <sighs> nope. <laughs> anyway, shout so out to you. Anyways, moving moving forward, they're gonna listen to that this week and back. Yeah, totally. Um, anyway. So uh, that's what happens. Uh, Uzziah actually ends up spending the last few years of his reign completely separate um, from Jerusalem, which for a particularly of a king of Judah is a really big, that's a big deal. Yeah. Um, he doesn't get to be in his capital. His son actually kind of takes over and for all intents and purposes is the king, even though his father is still alive. Um, and then eventually uh, he dies of his leprosy. Away and from so, the kingdom. Yep. And so Uzziah is this really interesting He's this really interesting character because he's significant in the fact that he's um he's one of the last we'll call them good kings um for a while before we get to Hezekiah. That's a really stupid decision. Yep. And so Hezekiah is a king during the reign of Isaiah, but um other than that we have to wait until we get to Josiah and all these different things, but when we talk about um, our passage in Isaiah, which I'm going to spoil a little bit, it, it, it takes place in the year that You're King Uzziah. I know. It takes place in the year that King Uzziah died, um, and really, what it's talking about is this good king um, dies, and the next king definitely does not lead the people of of Judah into worshiping the Lord, and that's kind of the backdrop for the beginning of Isaiah's call to ministry. So I'll say no more, um, and we will move on to Aaron's highlight. Dude, I would have songs. given you like points for that segue if you would have waited your turn. I know, but now I'm not going to give you points for that so um we get to read two psalms this coming week uh one is chapter tw or chapter 29 and then one is chapter 92 and i thought it'd be fun to take a moment to highlight chapter 92 uh, mainly because of the reason it's written um it, it, you'll see under the heading it says a psalm and then a, a song for the sabbath um and and the sabbath is is something i feel uh like we we understand, but we don't often understand how it practically plays out because we view it in terms of I have to take an entire day and not work. Well, what's work versus what's not work? Um, and then we get so caught up in doing the right things on the Sabbath day that we lose sight of the Sabbath and the purpose for the Sabbath. And so uh, we see that the Sabbath uh, is a command in the Ten Commandments where it says, remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. Uh, and so when Psalm 92 says this psalm is written as a song for the Sabbath, it draws us back to the reality and the reminder of what is the Sabbath for. Uh, and I would just say it's this, like, in, and I could probably be corrected in how I'm saying this, but uh, I'm, I'm going to say what I say. It says this, um, that I, I just, like, the purpose of a Sabbath is to pause in our day-to-day -day regular activities and rhythms and work schedules and agendas and tasks and to reflect on who God is. And then in turn, because as we take intentional moments to reflect on who God is, we then in turn begin to find and be revealed the security, the the, the provision that we have because of who God is. Uh, and so the Sabbath, I mean, Jesus even says that the Sabbath uh, 
was not, I think I have this right. I always get this mixed up. Like it was not created for man, but the man was created for Sabbath or is it the other way around? Reverse it. Reverse it. Okay. Yeah. So Sabbath was created for man. That's what it is because it, God knew we are uh, task driven people who want to perform and do what we're called to. But it's sometimes we have to understand that part of what we're supposed to do is to pause and reflect. Uh, and so the Psalm being written for the Sabbath is a great, uh, I would even say, uh, a Sabbath, we, you know, calendar wise, oftentimes see that as like a Saturday or a Sunday, depending on people's schedules. But really, it is just, uh, it's a day or in time that we take intentionally to pause and reflect and stop doing work to focus back on God. And so this Psalm, I'm going to read just a few verses of it, because I think it's, it's just really fun. Uh, and as I read it today, uh, just to refresh my, my, my memory on these notes, it says this, uh, it was really encouraging. It says this in, in verse one, it says, it is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to the most high. It is good to proclaim your unfailing love in the morning, your faithfulness in the evening, referring to God's love in the morning and God's faithfulness in the evening, accompanied by a 10-stringed instrument. So if you don't play a harp, you should get a harp and start playing it because the Bible says you should. Uh, I'm kidding. Uh, and the melody of a liar. Uh, you thrill me, Lord, with all you have done for me. I love this verse. I sing for joy because of what you have done. O oh Lord, what great works you do and how deep are your thoughts. And as I was reading this, the, the first few verses today, uh, it just was really fun because for me, it evoked some inspiration. It evoked some excitement and anticipation for who God is and understanding I, I'm not, I don't fully comprehend who God is. I don't fully comprehend the greatness of his works yet. I don't fully comprehend how magnificent and mag, you know, and, and the greatness and the power and the sovereignty and the, 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 the sheer like vastness of who God is and and I wouldn't have those moments if I didn't intentionally pause uh, to reflect. And I, I love that the psalm sets us up to have moments of uh, remembering God, to pause and reflect in the busyness of our schedule because God knows and God would tell you and I, we need these moments. Uh, and so my hope is that as you read this psalm this week, that it does the same thing, that it evokes some anticipation, it evokes some inspiration, and it evokes some excitement for what uh, what God, who God is and what he has done so yeah, far. Absolutely. So we're going to move on to our highlight in the book of Isaiah. Really quick thing that I messed up on in the last section, because uh, I, I went and looked it up while you were talking. Good job. So I wonder what you were doing over there. I know. So when I said Uzziah's son does not serve the Lord, I was wrong. Uh, Jotham is his son who serves the Lord. I was thinking of Uzziah's grandson, Ahaz, who does not serve yes. the Lord and leads the people away from him. So uh, really quick thing there. If you were Way shouting- correct bro. There you go. If you were shouting at the podcast saying, I'm an idiot. You're bro, a liar. I, you're you smell like beef and cheese. Sit on a throne of lies. Anyway, um, and Christmas so, is coming, y'all. Christmas is coming. Elf is a great movie. All right. So moving forward, though, uh, we are talking about this is really probably it's really close to my I can't I don't know if I can call it my favorite passage in Isaiah. It probably is. Um, but there's also the messianic passages, which we'll get to uh, later, which are also You're incredible. I am. But anyway, uh, Isaiah six is the call of Isaiah into ministry. And I'm just going to read it and then we'll just talk a little bit about it. But I do think it kind of just stands on its own for just what a great, um, what a great moment it is. And so it says, starting in verse one of Isaiah chapter six, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, which are uh, a form of angel. Each had six wings with two. He covered his face with two. He covered his feet and with two. He flew. And one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundation of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. 
And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people with unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then he, then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and say this to my people. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their eyes heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. And then I said, How long, O Lord? And he said, Until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far away, and forsaken places are many within the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. So, it's really this, there's a lot of ups and downs in this passage, and I think I think it's just this really cool thing. So, first off, Isaiah sees this incredible vision of of God really seated in his complete authority, if that makes sense. And so he sees God high and exalted in the temple and around him are flying these incredible creatures who are just chanting over and over again, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory, Um, which if you've ever you know, listen to worship songs, that's a very common refrain that you'll hear um, even in the church today. And Isaiah first is overcome with this idea of like, oh, I'm I'm not worthy. He says, woe is me for I'm a man of unclean lips and I live amongst a people of unclean lips. And, and there's this moment there um, where God makes it very clear that he has called Isaiah and, and he does this by, it says that he takes a burning coal from the altar and he presses it or one of the seraphim presses it against uh, his lips, which I think we kind of skip past, um, but that would have been excruciating. And it- Yes, it, it would have. It's hard to see- um, I. I think this is a vision, but I think it's actually happening to Isaiah as well, if that makes sense. And so it's very possible. And again, this is very open-handed. You could convince me that this is not the case very easily. But I like to think that Isaiah has scars on his lips from from this happening. I like to I like to think that when he's looking at himself, he remembers, even though the scar might be kind of weird looking on his lips, he remembers that my guilt is taken away and my sin is atoned for. Yeah. And therefore, I am qualified to do the ministry that God has called me to. Um, and then after this takes place, when Isaiah kind of gets over this idea of like, I'm not worthy, and God shows him like, your sin has been taken away, your guilt is atoned for, he says, who am I going to send? Isaiah stands up and he's like, I'm right here. Send me. I'm stoked. Let's do this thing. What What do you have for me? And then God says, basically, like, you're going to do ministry for a really long time um, and no one's going to listen to you. And the people's hearts are going to be hardened. And Isaiah is just kind of like... Um, okay, you got it. But it's this really interesting ministry that God calls Isaiah to where he he knows full well, and this is kind of the same thing that's going to happen with Jeremiah when we get to that book, um, that these ministries in the eyes of in the eyes of 
the people who were there would not be successful ministries. Um, obviously, with an eternal perspective or with the perspective of us today, um, what God says through Isaiah is some of the most are some of the most important passages of Scripture that we can. I don't want to say important because all Scripture is is, is God breathed, but it's these passages of Scripture that just stand the test of time, and for us today are very much in the conscious of, of the Christian mind. Um, and all of that happens when Isaiah is saying all of these things with the knowledge that the people of Judah will probably not be repenting and turning to God. And there's there's ups and downs. Like I said, there's uh, the reign of Uzziah's son, who while he does what's right in the sight of the Lord, the people rebel. Ahaz, the people definitely rebel, and the king rebels. And then Hezekiah, there's kind of this moment where the people actually turn away from evil and they turn towards the Lord. Isaiah's ministering at that point too. Um, but it's just this, it's, it's just this really beautiful passage, I think, of who Isaiah is. It kind of shows him. It also shows the mercy mm-hmm. of God in one hand, but also the incredible um, power and holiness and glory of God is is on display in that passage as well. Yeah, and I even love that it 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 shows us almost a picture of what happens when we come face to face with the Lord, right? And He extends His mercy, knowing that He is. I mean, even even as Evan you said, like knowing that He is wretched and He is uh, unclean lips and He's in a people of unclean lips, but God purifies Him and God calls Him. His response is immediate, like whatever you need me to do, I'll do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's the beauty of our Christian faith and our Christian walk, even as we jump into Mark this week as well. And we actually wrap up the book of Mark this week. Um, we see, uh, and the passage I want to take a few moments in is this idea of the rich young man, but I just think it's, it's, it's worth saying today, like when, when we see people's responses to God, it's, it's hot or cold. It's, I, I, I walk away rejected because I, I've tied more of my value and worth to the things of the world, or it's, it's on fire. I'll do whatever you need me to do, Lord because we have a glimpse of the fullness of God's grace and mercy to us. And so, um, like I said, we're going to finish up Mark this week, uh, which is kind of a crazy thing to think about in two weeks where you through the book of Mark. Um, and and I would just rem- uh, remind you that like the first half we see uh, these themes playing out. We see it throughout the entire book of Mark, which we talked about last week. Um, but we also saw in the first half, chapters one through eight, uh, the, the idea of Jesus demonstrating his authority. He was walking around doing miracles and uh, speaking with authority. He was demonstrating the authority God has given to him as his son. And then the second half of the book of Mark in chapters nine through 16, we will see uh, Jesus's authority now is being tested and with the questions and challenges given by religious leaders and Pharisees and, and people, as well as through suffering, we're going to see Jesus's authority challenged in those things. And so uh, one of the things that I, that stood out to me as I was kind of overviewing the, the this week's reading uh, was the story that's, I think, pretty familiar for some of us in, in church world. But it's about this this guy of, uh, who's a rich young ruler or a rich young man, as Mark and the New Living Translations uh, says it. Um, but we just see this this moment where he's a pious young man who runs up to Jesus as Jesus is passing through, and he says that he kneels before Jesus and says, "What must I do to inherit eternal life?" And Jesus spits off some commandments: "Love Lord your God, do not you know covet, do not this this this." And this young man says, "I've done, I've kept those since birth." And then Jesus says, "One thing you lack: sell everything you have." give it to the poor and come follow me. It's this invitation that Jesus is making. Like you want to be my follower. You want to be my disciple, give up everything and follow me. Um, And it's interesting because that's the call of any disciple is to give up open-handedly our lives and follow him no matter what it takes. Uh, And it says that this young ruler 
walked away dejected because he was a man of great wealth. Um, and it's interesting because as we we see Jesus being challenged in the sense, okay, what authority do you have? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And the, Jesus then sets the standard. This is what it's going to take. And it's a glimpse for us today that we have to make a decision on a regular basis. What's our worth and value? And where do we really find uh, everything. I think I referred to this in the, the Q&A podcast that we just dropped this last week. Again, shout out, go read it or listen to it if you haven't and keep sending us questions. But uh, it was in First Timothy, this idea of godliness with contentment is great gain. And the reality of are we, is Jesus enough or are the things of the world that we have? I mean, Jesus is tested. He's challenged. He literally suffers to the point of death and has risen again on the third day. But he shows the authority he's been given, which then gives him the authority to call us to be willing to lay down our lives and suffer as well. And from a very monetary perspective, a materialistic perspective, this rich young ruler, rich young man was also given the same challenge. And yet Jesus had not laid down his life, but Jesus was on the track to do so. And he's calling, he was calling those who wanted to be his followers to do much the same thing. Uh, and so I think the challenge goes the same. Jesus has shown his authority as, to be approved through the questions and how we responded, but also through suffering. And for us to suffer in this world is, 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 is minimal compared to what Christ has suffered through and then invites us into eternity and the hope that it's provided. Uh, so I just think it's an interesting, as we're kind of reading through the book uh, of Mark, we're finishing it up this week. Um, just remember, like we've seen God demonstrate authority. Uh, now he's being challenged and tested in that same authority. And he comes out proven, uh, what's the word? Proven true, I guess is the right way to say it. Yeah, I think that's great. Um, the last book that we're going to be talking about this week or we'll be reading through uh, this week is the book of Hosea. Um, and Hosea is the, if you kind of are dividing the Bible into sections, he's the first of the minor prophets. So the major prophets are, you know, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel. Lamentations and then, isn't a prophet, that's but it's true. written by Jeremiah, which is why it's included in the major prophets. Precisely. Side Precisely. You're welcome. Um, and then Hosea kind of kicks off this list of, uh, I forgot what number we said, it's like 12 or something like 12. that. Yeah, boom. There you go. Um, that goes number forward. Of wholeness. Hosea, Hosea is a, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting because it's a really overlooked book of the Bible, but I think the, the story in it is so powerful. And so you can kind of divide it into a few different sections, but the main um, crux of Hosea is um, God again calls him into ministry and he actually calls him to, to marry um, depending on translation or what Gomer. you're saying. Yeah. Gomer is her name, uh, which is you know just a great name for a yes. girl. Um, but um, she's either a prostitute or she's just very loose. Like it can't, it, it, it's kind of hard to figure out exactly what's going on there, but basically God calls um, Hosea to marry this woman and to have children with her. Um, and the children are given great names like Jezreel and not loved and not my people, which is, you know, just cl classic. Uh, you think, you think some celebrities give bad names to their kids? You, Read Hosea. You think Northwest is bad. <laughs> just wait. <laughs> um, but anyway, with, with all these things that happen, Gomer ends up actually running away. Um, she leaves Hosea to be with, another man and then god also calls hosea to go um and essentially essentially buy her back from slavery and so we don't know how it happens but either she sells herself into into slavery or she is taken and put into slavery and it, it ends up being this thing where hosea actually has to go um and pay money for someone who is his and when i say is his i don't mean like he owns her but i mean you know marital covenant i am yours and you are mine yeah. um 
they belong to each other, and yet Hosea ends up having to pay a price of in order to redeem her um, from her standing. And so, it's this really beautiful picture, and Hosea makes it clear when God is saying this, that this is the relationship we have with God. And, and sometimes I've heard it said, we're like, you know, we'll read it and be like, we need to be like Hosea and, you know, and be righteous and do these things, which um, is not the point of the book. The point of the book is not- It's a good, it's a good thought and like the intention is a rallying inspirational, but right. you miss the context and the purpose of the book. Yeah, the purpose of the, the theme book, of the book is not that we need to be like Hosea or that we shouldn't be like Gomer. The point of the book is that we are Gomer, that that the the, the ship yeah, is yeah. sailed. That is who we are. Um, but And the idea there is that we are supposed to have relationship with God and we reject it through sin. We reject it through doing those things which we are not supposed to do. Yeah, we reject we it. We wander we, away. Yeah, exactly. And then God, and eventually this prophecy gets fulfilled through, through Christ pays that redemptive price to take us out of our slavery to sin. Um, and in, in the epistles that Paul writes, he talks about how we're dead to sin. Um, you can't get much more helpless than than dead. So that's unless you're watching a fantasy movie, that's kind of the end of the character, sure. if that's what happens. Um, but and and that's what happens. And it's this really beautiful picture, I think, of God's relationship to us, and it can sound kind of depressing to say like, you know, we are Gomer, like that's just kind of the way it is. Um, but when we truly understand what's happening, what it means is that even in the midst of our complete betrayal of our relationship with God, God loves us, he shows us mercy, and he paid the price that we were not able to pray yeah. to pay for our salvation, for our freedom, just like Hosea pays the price that she that Gomer was not able to pay for her freedom as well. So, um, as you're reading it, just keep it in mind. Again, it's one of my favorite stories that is kind of ignored uh, throughout the Bible, but it's it's a really powerful little book um, that we're going to be going yeah, through. Yeah, and I think you're going to find that with a lot of the minor prophets that there are. They may, may be called minor prophets, which is the twelve books we were just referring to. Um, and Hosea being the the top book, the first book there doesn't mean it was for, written chronologically first, but right. it's the one that's in the minor prophets. But it, you're going to find that there is so much, oh man, so many incredible things in these minor prophets, and the story of Hosea and Gomer and the picture it represents is pretty incredible and remarkable. So. Uh, hope you enjoy it this week. Yeah. And with that being said, that's actually going to wrap it up uh, for this week. If you're thinking to yourself, but wait, we're reading some chapters from Micah. We're actually saving that for next week uh, just to kind of do a full book recap. It's called there. a hook to keep you on. Yeah. You know, stay, stay tuned next week on Let's Read the Bible. <laughs> to be but, continued. Uh, anyway, we are a podcast of the Grove Church, but we're not the only podcast of the Grove Church. If you would like to check out our other resources, uh, you can visit our website at grove.church. And then do us a favor, make sure to leave a uh, five-star review on whatever device uh, or application you're listening on. Uh, it just helps to get the podcast out there in front of more people and, and really grow this community of people who are listening to the Bible. Yeah. And with do that it. being, do it. That being said, we will see you all next week. <laughs>